You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifflers. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about weather. Great Scott. So, Nathan, tell me this. Does it feel the same if you were to describe a scene to your players and then you as part of that description, you just mention it's, you know, it's raining a lot. Or if you really just go into it with it was a dark and stormy night, the rain, you know, I just totally lost myself in the midst of that. But you get the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. Remy, you, you, you suck at this thing. Right? Anyways, so... It's yes, 3.30 it does make... in the morning. Shut up. <laughs> it's okay. So, anyways, right. I was going to say, the way that um, weather affects a sort of scene and makes um, players feel really, really adds to moments and stuff. So, like, let's say somebody dies and then um, as, you, as the body lays there, you uh, feel the wet droplets hit your skin and the blood flow down your hands. And as they both drip on the uh, on the ground, it all mixes together into a um, red bloody mess. You know that kind of thing. And uh, your like hand you hear, because you you stab the guy. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you you can do stuff like that to really give that cinematic vibe to things, and just like just add to the thing. Because here's the thing: is that very often in um, games, I feel weather isn't really brought up at all. Rarely, if ever. Yeah, it really just tends to come up, whether it is like either extreme hot or extreme cold, like if you are in like tundra somewhere or if you're crossing the desert. Those are really kind of the only two that I typically see. Do do you have a... Do you you have a spreadsheet that's like, okay, this is today's weather forecast. (laughs) Yes. I might actually have a few of them that are regional because depending oh no. on how far you are from the equator and different natural hot. Oh my gosh, I was saying that as like a, 
Nah, that that's impossible, right? Like he, this is gonna be one of the things he's gonna be like. No, I didn't actually do that, and then and then you you bro, you, you you destroyed my expectations. When right? have I ever not done the thing? You know, I I thought weather was it, like you know it's so insignificant and it's like such a no, small at, thing. No, the thing is, as we just proved a minute ago, I'm really bad at doing it off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> So honestly, for me, I find it helpful to just have a chart, to have an idea of knowing, okay, you know, in this area, you know, it is the rainy season or whatever the season actually is. And then I can know, okay, so there's, you know, a good chance of rain on this day. And then you can describe your adventurers having to like slog through this muddy path. I, I, I believe that you've been lying that you're a human. You're clearly a fucking beholder. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> No, find where I'd be much smarter. No, you plan for everything. You literally plan for everything. Again, that's part of why I like boulders so much. Is because boulders are my spirit animal. Ah, Jesus Christ. No, like, that's the thing. Like, I wish that I had a beholder's natural intelligence to make me better at the way that I am. Because now I'm just limited by my, by my stupid human brain. I am just not as smart as I would like to be. So having just a beholder's intelligence would already suit my own natural paranoia. So it wouldn't actually be that much adaptation, except for the lack of arms and legs. That would probably be the hard thing to get used to. Okay, anyway. so out of the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that, folks. But you know how I get if beholders come up. <laughs> Alright, but anyway, seriously though, talking about weather. Um, obviously... As is so very often the case, I take things too far for the sake of my own world building. But again, like we were talking about, I'm bad at coming up with certain descriptions off the cuff. That is just not where my talent lies. So by planning for it and preparing for it, that helps set the mood in my games because I can plan out. Oh, OK, yeah. So if we're going to be, you know, in a particularly tall mountain that, you know, the my group is hiking through. Well, OK, is it going to be like the kind of, you know, snow peaked mountain where there might be like a chance of avalanche? Or is there going to be, you know, a cliff, you know, that's like a straight rock climb that the characters need to you know make checks trying to climb up is it the kind of thing where you know there might just be like heavy snow obscuring their vision as they're trying to get ahead and they don't notice a creature there's a lot of factors that weather have in just the advancement of a journey so the fact that it is used so very rarely is a misstep i feel for most dungeon masters and i myself can absolutely be victim to this where i want to just advance a story and not worry about as much the journey. And this is something that all dungeon masters need to ask themselves all the time, which is, you know, how treacherous do they want the journey to be and how much do they want to just get to the thing? But that does not mean that it isn't something that you should put thought into for the sake of your world building, regardless of how often it actually comes up as relevant to you. So uh, that being said, I'm just kind of curious, Nathan, just what are your thoughts on just like types of weather that you think that there might be rules on that already exist that you might be able to pull from? I mean, obviously, like the traditional, um, maybe 
what a storm of lightning would be like, um, what a hill storm would be like, something like that. Maybe? Yeah, that would make sense for those things to exist. But for most weather conditions, they actually haven't had rules until last week when Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out. Because in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the actual written rules is really limited, actually, in terms of what actually is described. So in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a section on wilderness hazards and, well, wilderness survival in general, really. There's a little bit in one chapter, and it does cover a few things, but honestly, not as much as one might think. There are rules for extreme cold and extreme heat, which makes sense. There's rules for a strong wind and heavy precipitation. So if it's like really heavy rain or snow, how that affects a perception check and such. There are rules for, you know, high altitude, that which is a kind of neat one to me, because that's not something that most people would honestly think about. And there's a, a, a handful others here, right. there, like cold water and such. But, so is, are there any like magical sort of weather conditions and stuff? Again, not a whole lot. There is a desecrated ground, which is just that mm. the area feels spooky. It doesn't actually do oh, a so whole spooky. lot. <laughs> actually, yeah, how, how would that work? Can, can you imagine? It's all sunny and shit. It's like a, a soft fog appears from the ground and it's sort of spooky, but the sun is shining. Yeah. So you're like not really sure how to feel. I mean, it could be the kind of thing where it's like, you know, you're in a forest, you know, you're in a light forest and there's the sun shining brightly you know, warming you oh, through shadows. your armor, but then all of a sudden you cross the tree line into this graveyard and immediately you notice that the day is suddenly overcast and a thin fog covers the ground, obscuring your visibility. And like, so spooky. It, it could work, but like, but like desecrated ground, it's really just spooky. Like the only thing that it really does is give undead an advantage on saving throws. That's it, which is just, Kind of lame. Wait, wait, don't honesty. zombies like use a saving troll to like some with some, one thing? Yeah, that they do? to not die. Yeah, like isn't that their main thing? The reason why they're so fucking terrifying? I mean, that's one of the things, but again, it like a lot of the things that humans like have that lizard brain fear for are much less dangerous to adventurers because, yeah, a zombie can take out like if there is like a zombie outbreak. A town would be in significant trouble, but even just like a party of adventurers, there's decent odds that you might have like a cleric in the party or just a couple, you know, or just some person who has some bit of holy magic. But like, honestly, a zombie is just such a weak creature that it's only in just massive numbers that it honestly becomes a significant impediment to most adventurers. But again, like talking about the action economy then that absolutely is where things can become troublesome. But yeah, for the most part, though, just the natural desecrated ground, you, you could also just leave that area for the most part. Just don't fight the undead in the graveyard. Leave the area. Because, I mean, if it's only a finite area size, and if yeah, there's sure. nothing stopping you, don't fight there. You know, that that th that time when you go to the graveyard to get one of the, the thingamajiggies that you need to get from a graveyard, and it's like, oh yeah, let's just not, okay. But yeah, so anyway, uh, I was just, I listed off a few of the thing of the weathers that exist, but uh, let me quickly go through them again, just to actually mention what the effects are. 
So first things first, we've got extreme cold. So if it's at or below zero degrees Fahrenheit, you, it is a DC 10 constitution saving throw per hour or get exhaustion. But if you are resistant or immune to cold, you automatically succeed on that saving throw, as do creatures wearing cold weather gear and creatures naturally adapted to cold climates. So that all checks out. What's interesting to me is that that's actually a relatively easy con save, even if you're not wearing cold weather gear. Like if you just have, you know, a character with a particularly good constitution, there's a chance that they're just fine in extreme cold, which seems a little bit easy to me, but so be it. On the other hand, extreme heat, where it's above 100 Fahrenheit. So they have to make a con save every hour and risk exhaustion. But it doesn't list the DC because it increases. It is five for the first hour and then increases by one for each additional hour, which is cool because that escalates the danger the longer you're in it. I don't understand why they made that one so much more difficult long term than cold. Uh, also, uh, in extreme heat, if you have medium or heavy armor or heavy clothing, you have disadvantage on that saving throw, which is actually a pretty neat touch. And then also if, uh, resistant or immune to fire damage, then you're fine. Like, that's just kind of neat. I really like that one a lot more than the cold. Uh, ba -ba Strong wind just gives disadvantage on ranged weapon attack rolls and perception checks for hearing, which is also actually kind of neat. So simple, but makes sense. And then, of course, heavy rain or snow will also give uh, disadvantage on perception checks that are based on sight, uh, extinguishes open flames, and also gives disadvantage uh, for being able to hear as well. So at high altitude, it's actually a relatively minor thing, but it's kind of clever to me. It's that each hour that you're traveling counts as two hours for determining how long you can travel. So normally, like an adventurer is able to travel so many hours in a day. But if you're not adapted to moving at high altitude, then it just wears at you twice as fast, which is just kind of neat. That just means that like after a few hours of travel, you'd start needing to make the regular exhaustion saves. Desecrated ground we already talked about. Uh, ba -ba -ba. Frigid water. So frigid water is actually like an area that I like. The whole idea of there being just cold water, thin ice, all of those kinds of things, I just think are neat because it's so easy to imagine that adventurers are just walking somewhere cold, not knowing that they're like on top of a frozen lake. It's so very easy to use as a dungeon master that it also just makes the kind of thing that could be just a really good puzzle, a really good danger if there's some kind of creature under the ice. I really just like that one. Uh, anyway, but if you are actually just if you yeah, words, if you had fallen into frigid water, uh, you're OK for a number of minutes equal to your con score before you actually need to start rolling a DC 10 con save. And of course, if you are resistant or immune to cold, then you're fine. Uh, quicksand, uh, you just kind of fall in, you sink a couple of feet, become restrained, and then each turn you sink an additional 1d4 feet. And then as, as long as you're not completely under, you can just roll a uh, strength check that's DC 10 plus the number of feet that you are under. And then, of course, if you are submerged, you can't breathe and start to suffocate. So that's pretty neat, too. Let's see now. Razor vine. 
a plant that grows in wild tangles and hedges, clings to buildings, yada yada. Uh, blah blah blah. First time you come into contact with it on a turn, DC 10 deck save or take a 1d10 slashing damage. So that's pretty neat. Just, you know, you could use that for just, uh, you know, sharp plant. You could just change it to like piercing damage if you have like a rose covered wall. Like that's one that could actually be pretty adap- adaptable for different types of hazards. So I do appreciate that flexibility. Uh, if ice is slippery, then it's difficult terrain. So you can only move half as much. And uh, when you are moving on it each turn, you have to make a DC 10 acrobatic checker fall prone. And then we come to thin ice, which is just fun to think about. It has a weight tolerance that you as the DM would just roll for. So each 10 foot square area, so two by two squares on a grid, has a weight tolerance of 3d10 times 10. And then if it is exceeded, then it just breaks and creatures fall in. So that's interesting to think about, because that means that at most, if you rolled a 10 on all of them, that thin ice would have a max capacity of 300 pounds. So if you just have two adventurers in the same 10 foot square, that will break thin ice, which then immediately realizes, ah, so if adventurers are aware of that, which they should be, then that would mean that you have to have them a little bit more spread out. And if they're a little more spread out, then that also just makes it a good potential environment for a combat encounter if there's something below the ice that might want to come up for them. So that is all the rules that existed previously in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Now, what I really like is the update in Tasha. So in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, there is an entire new chart that I really, really like uh, that is spells as natural hazards. And it lists out a bunch of just different things that might exist and then what spell you can use to act as its equivalent. So if you wanted to know, like, what rules could you use for something like fog? then okay, yeah, you'd use the fog cloud spell to kind of know mechanically how to roll with that. Or if you wanted to deal with, you know, something like um, lightning, there's a lot of different lightning spells in the game. So so it does specify then that, okay, so you could use either call lightning or lightning bolt if you want to have a more kind of varied power of potential lightning that come about. And it is a thorough, thorough chart that I do really enjoy a lot. Um, before I do dive too much into that, I do uh, need to backtrack. I did accidentally skip over a couple of other uh, new things in here that are pretty nifty. Avalanches are a thing that can happen if you're in that kind of environment. And the fact that it does now list a set of rules that you could use for just, okay, it like avalanches fall fast it falls with a lot of force this is one thing that i dislike however in this book which is that they fucked up the damage of this hard how much damage do you think an avalanche running into people should cause lots lots of damage what do you think the actual damage is (laughs) 10 10 d6 1 d10 right that's fucked up like it is like it describes the size of the avalanche too at the start 300 feet wide 
150 feet long, 30 feet thick, and it just falls 300 feet twice around. So it falls 600 feet around, and any creature in its space is just supposed to take 1d10 bludgeoning damage? That's insane. Bullshit. So, just for the uh, sake of comparison, so there actually is a spell for creating a tsunami, effectively called tsunami. And it even has a similar description to the avalanche in that spell, where it's 300 feet long, 300 feet high, and 50 feet thick. And for that, it's a saving throw to take 6d10 bludgeoning damage are halved and then as it pushes it decreases a die each turn which is a really cool mechanic to use it so honestly use the tsunami spell for avalanches because it's less stupid than this description here but anyway uh going back to that uh spells as natural hazards this is interesting to me because there are something like 20 things on this list like it has you know flood fog lava lightning meteor wildfire like it's got a lot of things like it even goes a little bit uh exotic too it has freaking radiation on here mentioning that you could use blight or circle of death to represent radiation which actually is Interesting. So using necrotic as radiation makes a lot of sense to me. So I appreciate that. But this chart can be massively helpful for dungeon masters to just figure out, okay, what mechanics do I use to create this different type of weather kind of situation? Like if I want there to be like just a, okay, let's just go with wildfire. So let's just say that there is a wildfire as you know your player characters are hiking through the woods like how you know how much damage is that going to be and what is also nice is that so many of the things on this list do give two options so that you can decide like how strong an effect do you want it to be like do you want it to just be you know a more mild one or do you want to use a stronger one so they have both the firestorm and wall of fire spells listed to use as that so if you want to have a wildfire you could have it use like the 5d8 of the wall of fire or you could use it to have to be firestorm which is a 7d10 failed on a failed save so if you want to have different potency of effects you could just use different spells you could you know treat it as if it's cast using you know a higher spell slot if you want to just crank up the damage like it is absolutely the kind of thing where it gives examples here but that you as the dungeon master can and of course should just use it as inspiration for whatever effect you yourself are trying to convey in your world or game but mechanics aside i do want to actually backtrack once again to talk more about the implementation side of using weather in your games so nathan uh how would you describe your use of weather mainly it's been occasional thus far where um i remember to do it for certain moments when the players enter a new area where the weather is different i kind of do that but that's pretty much it yeah but let's just say that you know your players are just in an area do you ever just do a roll to see what the daily weather is going to be like no 
No. No, I don't. You don't. Most people don't. Like, I have the charts, and I rarely actually use them that detailed a manner. But that is honestly something that I think just should require a little bit more thought. Like, yeah, sometimes you want to have, like, you know, the whole thematically appropriate weather, but sometimes it's just raining that day, and that's just a thing. Like, like I was talking about a little bit earlier on as well, just, like, it may just be a really irksome day where you're just trying to just walk along the road and it's just raining really hard and it's muddy and it's unpleasant and that can just set a mood in its own right because part of traveling is weather and for some reason that just isn't something that a lot of dungeon masters make use of in terms of just world building and setting a scene and just setting a mood even if it isn't you know direct dramatic effect just to make use of the fact that, oh, it's really, really raining hard and it's actually a thunderstorm. So there's lightning everywhere. And if you have a fighter in full plate armor, maybe it's not the best idea to travel this day. And then maybe that could even just be an excuse to just kind of take shelter in some small village. Or maybe there's, you know, a hunting lodge or a guild hall or some such that's just nearby in the area where people can just take shelter. because. Honestly, there are any number of plot hooks that you could make use of that's just the weather's real bad. Hey, there's a place to take shelter here. Maybe there's something interesting there. Maybe there isn't. Maybe sometimes an abandoned building just is an abandoned building. But the point being, it is something to make use of in your Dungeon Master toolbox that many don't and should. In summary, weather is a rather significant part of the real world, but for some reason, not as big a thing as it ought to be in most Dungeons and Dragons games. So I highly suggest taking a look at some of the charts that are now in the books and making use of weather in your own worlds to set the mood, set the scene, and most importantly, have some fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash reflectpodcast. Two stars are a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at reflectpodcast on Facebook as Reflect on Reddit on the subreddit r slash reflectpodcast. And you can send us an email riftsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.